Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who operates a Panopticon lighthouse. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and I mean... Slash orphanage? Have... That's weird. Yeah, yeah. It's an orphanage Panopticon prison uh, where they are harvesting the brain juice of children uh, to live forever. See, what's interesting about Duh. this... Duh. Like... We're kind of in like a Frankenstein's, you know, Frankenstein and his monster sort of universe kind of, you know, that sort of mad science thing. But then it requires a signet ring that makes it all magical. Yeah. Because there's no Here's reason the why thing. that would do it. What really makes it interesting, Pat, yeah. is that this is number two of a three film set that Guy Madden refers to as his most autobiographical. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, to I be fair, I broke Pat the, for a second there. <laughs> the, the character, the character is named Guy Batten. So, uh, yes, yes. I mean, he's really kind of showing his cards right there. Right. I mean, right. I don't know a lot about Guy Batten, <laughs> and I feel like maybe I need to because at some <laughs> point he lived in a place where people were harvesting brain juice. <laughs> So that seems like it. I mean, seems like a person with a lot of stories to tell. Yeah. Um, using what I can. I mean, I never saw the lighthouse, but I got a lot of. <laughs> well, the, the movie The Lighthouse is very different to this one. I know, but, but like uh, it's the black and white is what it is, right? <laughs> you know, actually, we never get to see the lighthouse light in the lighthouse mm-hmm. uh, because that is the central. The central. Uh, crazifying mystery okay. of the lighthouse uh, is that uh, Pattinson's character is not allowed to see the light. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, it's very possible that it is just mother. Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion over there for a dollar a month. You can support us, keep us going, uh, and get access to a back catalog of uh, bonus episodes. You get to vote on what the bonus episode is going to be. All that for just a dollar. You get 40 episodes or more yeah, I don't back know catalog. Yeah, right now, but it's a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a little above 40. Uh, but it's all non-Criterion films. We put together a list, sometimes based on the movies we watched in the Criterion Collection recently on the main podcast. Like when we had a Louis Malle box set, we did a list of Malle documentaries that aren't in the Criterion Collection proper, but some of them are in like the Eclipse series. Um, and then sometimes they're just wholly unrelated, like our January bonus this year was uh, movies from the 2020 uh uh, Library of Congress National Film Registry inductees because it included Shrek and for the Blues Brothers reason, yeah. and Joy Luck Club for some reason um, and The Dark Knight. Uh, just a weird, weird collabor- oh, right. collection of movies. Um, uh, well, I mean, at the, 
in the end, like a lot of times it just comes down to like, well, this sounds interesting and we need a list. Right, right. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And I'm not, <laughs> we have enough, uh, we have a hard enough time here trying to figure out Criterion's criteria. I'm not <laughs> yeah. interested in speculating on what the National Film Registry, <laughs> they, uh, their vague definition of important movie uh, is right. uh, at least upfrontly vague. <laughs> Um, right. So, yeah. Uh but yeah, we have uh we have fun over there. We watched uh like I said we watched the, that Molly documentary God's Country is just a phenomenal yeah, oh, it's uh yeah. look at uh at rural American politics. Uh It provides so much in like it is a really oh, yeah. intense thing to watch it with regards to the amount of insight it ha- it it provides right. for the moment we're in these days it's really pretty amazing <laughs> really yeah uh particularly you know especially considering it was made the year we were born yeah uh, <laughs> right um but yeah we've also watched you know things the, that are less much much uh, we've also watched <laughs> things that are much less heavy like uh say Ernest goes to camp i disagree or, uh, completely <laughs> Ernest goes to camp has some very deep themes uh, if you want to get into them, yeah, we, we the episode. Like, that is a really intense. That's actually a pretty deep episode, believe it or not. Which yeah. is weird. It was a good episode. It was very fun. It was very fun. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like I said, we watch a pretty eclectic mix. If you want to get in on that, get those bonus episodes. Vote on what we're going to do. Suggest a list or a movie for yeah, us to watch yeah. over there. We're it's always a good way to get on the podcast. Suggestions. Too. Yeah, yeah. And if you suggest it and we, we end up using that as a list, we'll uh, more than likely, uh, historically at least, uh, invite you to be on the episode. Uh, also, another thing we started recently for our $1 and up subscribers is uh, little outtakes, you know, stuff that I had to cut for time from the main podcast or, Usually or me being little an bloopers. Is the general thing. Uh, well, there's no usual actually right now because there's only two up right. as of this recording. Right, and but one, only two for one two of them on was a conversation I thought that. Oh, well, right. No, no, we're one no for, yeah, one of them one is, for is an actual conversation. One was you being an idiot, and one was a conversation that I thought was very interesting that our listeners might enjoy, but needed to be out of the episode. Right. Uh, for a little above that, $5 and above, we you obviously get access to the bonus episodes. You still get to vote, et cetera, et cetera, but we also thank those people on air. Uh, so thank you to Stephen Goldmeyer, our $5 supporter at this moment, who has also been on some episodes of the main podcast recently and some really great episodes of the bonus podcast. Uh, he suggested that we do <laughs> a bonus uh, about Now You See Me, which thankfully everyone voted for when we put together that right. list and Stephen was on. It could have gone it was bad. A, just a delightful episode. It was very fun. Uh, we do something a little special for our $10 and above supporters, which is our highest tier right now. Uh, $10 and above, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little thank you note and mail that off to you. So if you like bespoke art, bespoke mail, uh, having something that uh, no one else has in the exact format that you have it. Right, right? yeah, they are wholly unique. Um, between, between the art yeah. and, the, and, the, and what Adam writes, right. no, literally no other person on earth has, <laughs> has what you have, right, which is right, right. a thing. It's fun. It's yeah. fun, yeah. But we also like to thank those people on air. So thank you so much to Christopher Otto, to Michael McGrath, to Jason Westhaver, and Patrick Yako, and Adam Speakerman, who are $10 and above yes. supporters thank right now. Thank you very now. much. Again, that is patreon.com slash lostincriterion if you want to get in on that. And, uh, yeah, we're so grateful for those who do, but grateful to uh, to y'all for listening, even if you don't support yeah, us. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. This week we are talking about... 
a Guy Madden film. Guy Madden is a weird Canadian. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> our movie this week is number two in his Me trilogy. Uh, after a movie called Cowards Bend the Knee that, from what I've read, takes place almost entirely in a hockey rink and a hair salon in Winnipeg. Right, the uh, most Canadian is, things. Yeah, he is from Winnipeg. Uh, in fact, his the third movie in that trilogy, which we will eventually watch, it is uh, Spine number 740, I believe, so six years, we'll get another okay. Guy Madden film. Uh, it is called My Winnipeg. Uh, the cover for it looks like a horse drowning in a goblet full of blood. Uh, okay. I, I don't know what the imagery is supposed to be. Haven't seen the movie. Well, I guess six we'll years, find we'll out see in the six movie. years. Yeah, we'll know someday. Uh, yeah, uh, but that is the third movie in the in the trilogy. This one is Brand Upon the Brain. Again, a semi-autobiographical me trilogy. Each of those films stars an actor playing a character named Guy Madden, whether or not uh, they are really representative of director Guy Madden. No, I, I assume I that this is pretty pretty accurate representation of his childhood. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. It seems all, um, it all checks out. Yeah. A very interesting aspect of the background of this film is that uh, basically a, a a film company uh, just called The Film Company, uh, which is a Seattle-based production team, uh, offered Madden a full... Uh, uh, goodness. A full budget. You know, however much money they wanted, as long as he made the film... In Seattle, with a Seattle cast and crew. Okay. Uh, the shoot lasted nine days and six months from the initial offer. They had the movie in the can. Okay. All right. <laughs> with a budget of about $40,000 estimated. Um, by and large, these were, these were locals. I don't think they were non-actors. I think they were... Um, it looks... Not a lot of the people in this did other stuff beforehand. Some of them did some stuff afterward. Um, I mean, looks they, like some of them may have been stage actors. They have no Wikipedia pages, which is right, right. None of them have Wikipedia, but a lot of them had uh, had other uh, other credits on like IMDb or something. Right. Um, the uh, the woman who plays mother, the young the younger version of mother. Uh-huh. Uh, for instance, uh, which I saw was on an episode of Ghost Rider in okay. 1994. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, I, well, what I assume, right, is that they are, they are, if they're mostly like Seattle locals, right, and films are right. shot in Seattle, right, so they're like yeah. the people who go out for parts when movies show up in right, Seattle, right? right? That's what yeah, I'm and I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're doing theater acting elsewise. Right, absolutely, and, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Right. So, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was just some some Seattle company saying, "Hey, make a movie here. We'll pay for it." And guy saying, "Yes, right now." <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right, yeah. Okay, let's go. Uh, here we go. Yeah, uh, we I've have got not an idea watched based on my childhood, and then the company right. watched the film when it was done <laughs> and said, "Uh huh." Actually, that's another interesting aspect. Um, the uh, the Criterion essay uh, brings up that. Uh, on the one hand, Madden says he feels like in watching this, it's sort of a, a take that to his family. Yeah. Um, 
he feels like he's ratting out, quote, his loved ones. Okay. Uh, is what the essay well, says. Well, right. I mean, okay. Uh, yeah. One, I hope that this is. Uh, right. But, like, okay. Well, you finish that. I, I, I have, a th- I have yeah. thoughts on that. And I think. Th- yeah. yeah. I want to say, I, I hope that it is uh, uh, changed enough that this is not an actual representation of his childhood. Uh, and obviously it is not. But also, uh, where the Criterion essay goes with that information is that uh, it calls it perhaps perhaps perverse, may seem perverse, uh, because the original release of this was at the Toronto Film Festival, and then there was a roadshow uh, under the same production where they have the narration is live. They have a oh, live singer okay. who they refer to as a castrata, <laughs> castrati in the in the notes. Um, live Foley artists in lab coats. This is kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> live musical accompaniment. And uh, yeah. Like, uh, I would and, legit enjoy and that. Was a, that would be. That was a touring show with uh, different different narrators. Um wherever they were basically right. uh you know like every i sh- could go maybe in not that. every that show sounds but pretty not. amazing frankly right uh, i'm sure it was a it was a joy to watch yeah it's sure pretty awesome um like okay so i'm going to assume right that and i think this is the safe assumption that everybody will make is that i mean you have all the components of a of a sort of dysfunctional family here you have Distant father, right, 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 right. You right. have emotionally abusive mother. You have rebellious sister. Like, you have all those sort of standard components of like families that you know. You, it's all they're almost tropes in and of themselves, anyway. But right. they're also people have those experiences. So, like, I assume when he talks about autobiographical, he's pri- primarily like. This is an amplification of relationships that, you know, I feel. And then, like, a layer right. of weird sort of, like, pseudo-Victorian, uh, like, like uh, sort of Mary Shelley-esque science fiction on top to, <laughs> right, like, kind of right. flesh it out. Like, it's it's neat. Like, it, it legit is neat. Right, uh, it right. is very hard to watch. <laughs> like, intensely <laughs> difficult to watch. Like, I lived with my finger on the rewind button on the like 10 second go back button right primarily because right. it turns out i'm not a great reader uh <laughs> i need time well, and um you know well a lot of those title cards aren't up for long no so. what, it, what happens is is by the time my brain has processed that there is a title card to be read <laughs> i only it's have enough time gone. to get halfway through it and like so i i especially as the movie picks up the pace in the second half the title cards yeah. come like fast and furious, right? Like they're exclamations. They're essentially like like textual exclamations that are are borderline unreadable. Like I I can, all I can say is if you watch this movie live, you probably couldn't actually fully catch them all. Like it just would be impossible. Yeah. I think. Like I just I couldn't. I mean, like right. now w- was I sleepy? Was I sitting on the couch with a dog that was cuddling me? <laughs> yes, uh, but I was working. I was trying. Yeah, uh, the uh, on Wikipedia the pull cro- quotes for the critical reception to this are uh, just 
almost hard to imagine being about the same movie. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm now. I'm I'm here. Okay, yeah. let's let's hear. That might be an overstatement, but Roger Ebert said called it a phantasmagoric story that could be a collaboration between Edgar Allan Poe and Salvador Dali. Uh What's the next one? Uh, Carrie Rickey, writing the Philadelphia Inquirer, emphasized the film's connection to the horror genre, calling it a feverishly imaginative Freudian vampire film. Andrew Saris at the New York Observer uh, called the film one of the most compelling avant-garde excursions into narrative cinema ever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, you know what, though? Honestly speaking, I don't actually feel like... like I feel like they're drawing yeah, no. parallels that aren't necessarily <laughs> right. accurate. But, like, they're not wrong, right? I mean, like, per se, right? Like, it is... Right. Describing it as a feverishly imaginative Freudian vampire film, I feel where you're coming from there, right? Like, right, right, th- right. there is a vampiric element about extracting youth. Uh, there's there's Freudian... I mean, you can assign Freudian to literally any goddamn thing on Earth. <laughs> like, whatever. Right, like, that right. word doesn't actually mean... Anything. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the Furies, which is has a reputation as a Freudian right, Western. Exactly, like it's <laughs> right. anything can be Freudian. I did you like there was a there's a thing going around about the building they want to add to the to the North, New York oh, skyline yeah. about like that, and that's like oh we want to we're it looks, trying to it move looks away like a weird from, hourglass. Yeah, we're yeah. trying to move away from from Freudian buildings. I like. It's fine. Whatever. You can assign that to anything, right? It's fine. Like you know, I mean, at you, that point, Freudian is just a. Just a stand-in for the word phallic and yeah, just absolutely. say phallic. So and, and this one is less Freudian for phallic. It. This is probably more Freudian for like uh, Oedipus <laughs> complex type narratives and right, stuff, right? Right. But whatever. Right. Like that's what, again. I just feel like that word means nothing. But like he's not wrong. It is very imaginative. It's it's right, right, right. Uh, and then my only issue with the Roger Ebert one is I don't really see the Salvador Dali esque elements. The Edgar well, Poe is very clear to me. Dolly Salvador dream Dolly. sequences in film previously. There's not like, there's a lot of, it's certainly surreal. It right? is, but it's like a but different I think, kind of surreal, though. It's a different kind of surreal to Dolly, right? It, what What was the I, movie we watched about time travelers? The really interesting one about time travel. Are you thinking of uh, of Le Jeti, the, yeah, the yeah, Chris yeah. Marker that one that was it, the basis for? Uh, yeah, the basis for Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me a yeah, lot of yeah. that in in the sort of avant garde narrative, like right. storytelling, like style. I mean, obviously, right. this is much more frantic, much more like yeah. s- like deal delving into hu- like personal like psych like um what am I thinking yeah. of like your own personal psychology and stuff like that than than right. Le was, but yeah, and that that. That brings up an interesting aspect to this because it's very clear from watching this that Madden is a student of silent film, right? Yeah, and yeah. of German expressionism, perhaps in particular. Uh, not that we get a whole heck of a lot of like the huge open spaces of German expressionism, but what we see is still very reminiscent of a lot of things that we saw in, uh, you know, say, uh, Metropolis or right, uh, right. the uh, the Dr. Mabuse films or or other things of that time um, of like, you know, the horror sci-fi stuff of that time coming out of Germany. Right. Yeah. I mean, it does feel very much like that yeah. stuff. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's, it's a it's a modern take on it. So it's cut right, faster. Right. It's cut more intensely. Right. But, yeah. And 
and that's actually something the something the essay addresses that I found really interesting because uh, you know, it was a similar thought I'd had that the way it's cut and the way the film is presented that it's less like watching a 1920s silent film and more like at least less like watching one in 1920 and more like watching one <laughs> that's been archived and stored poorly <laughs> until today yeah, yeah, and yeah. the experience of watching one of those silent films as they exist in the current era right right well but right, not as they were created right well okay so what which brings us to a point that is very is borderline apropos of nothing right there's this thing that that i i, I become more and more fascinated right we we become as a society, sort of that the, the sort of loop effect, right, where we become re-engaged with the ephemera of previous decades, but in yeah. the form that they are understood now, rather than the way they were understood at the time, right? So, like Madden is engaging with si- with silent films in the form that they exist now, as you just said. Same way that people engage with sort of like eighties synth and 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 that right, sort of right, stuff right. in the format that we understand them now, rather than in the format that they were. In, in the nightmare universe of the Reagan era, right? Like, right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it, we don't engage with them as they were. We engage with them as they are now, and that's true for almost all media, right? Like, right, of course. We can't, and of course. you and I do it literally constantly. It's like it's our, it's literally right. the thing we're doing, right? Right. But, right. yeah, it is really fascinating yeah, because, but but the difference is is that Madden is very clearly aware of what he's doing. Right. Like, there is right. very clear that that is a choice he is making and not like an accident of not understanding that that's not what silent film is. Right. Where Why I bring it up is I think that it's also very interesting to think about that in regards to this being a weird mishmash uh, metaphorical look at his own childhood. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because you can the, only see it through the lens of the time he is now, not the lens that, right. you know. Well, obviously he of wasn't a happened. child during the Victorian era, but whatever. Like. <laughs> but, but also, you know, he's not. It's not a literal representation of what actually happened in right. his childhood. It is. It is his memories being filtered through everything else he has experienced. Right, like the Borges quote about you know, I am. I am every book I've ever read, every woman I've ever loved, every city I've ever visited. I paraphrase there because I can't remember exactly. But right. it's not meant to be a recreation of a 1920s, 1930s silent film. It's meant to be a recreation of the memory of watching one of those right, movies. Right, yeah, absolutely. You right. know, in the, in the actual, like, technical aspects of it, really. You know, it's a little too fast sometimes. It's way montage Right. And it's, it's you know, flashes of memory. It's episodic, too, right? You know, we get the 12... Right. It's divided into 12 chapters that, you know, build on each other, certainly, but still the divisions, it's like a... It's, you know, like a, like a, a, a serial, right? Right. It's like you a serial, and it also kind of feels like that. Like, oh, we, you know, we have to go change the reel now. Thank you very much. Give us right, a moment. Right. We're gonna start chapter right. two in just a moment. Why don't you, uh, you know, just right. talk to the people next to you for a minute? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To that extent, I wonder how much space was between the sections. If there were breaks when this was presented as a live right. show. Right, and I could definitely right. see that as being true. Like, Because also, though, like when you're dealing with content like this, 
This is a weird one in the sense that you this is something you almost want your audience to engage with actively in a in a not like a, not in a sort of like Rocky Horror Picture Show or something like that, but like in the way that like you might also I could see you wanting your audience to talk about each section at at the breaks, right, right, and be like, well, you it guys make sense to talk from an about artistic this for perspective, yeah. yeah, like you all need to you all need some time too because honestly, at twelve sections that are extremely densely packed, there's a right. lot of movie in this ninety nine minutes, like a lot <laughs> right. of movie. Like you're not like you know you read it when I'm like I'm always like is become a sort of like running thing with us where it's like oh it's only ninety minutes thank God like I can kind of like <laughs> this is gonna be an right. easy weekend for me like <laughs> yeah but like this one is like oh well we jammed three movies into ninety nine minutes I just hope that your brain <laughs> operates at like five times speed uh, right I think you're spot on with that it it provides you with you know. There's enough. You know, there's a lot going on, but it's also like cyclical, you know, and right, that's yeah, that's true, part yeah. of, you know, part of the the meta narrative of the entire thing is, you know, the 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 repeat phrase of uh, everything happens twice. Um, that I think in the final iteration of that phrase, it's everything happens again and again and again. Um, right. But yeah. you know, and uh, and we also get the repeat of this is too much for guy. Yeah, no, uh, which I found really was really I I really like that actually. That was one I was actually I meant to use that as part of the intro and I forgot. Like yeah, I couldn't yeah. figure out a way to do it and I just like gave up. But like, yeah, I mean, but like, and then but as then we get into it being auto semi autobiographical and what that statement means if he says this you know this was too much for guy, like right, those come at at times but they're not always the most intense times in the movie. Like when the most right. intense stuff is happening, but it, it's things that have emotionally impacted that that child. Right. It, it's really and now, what certainly it, they do happen at some very intense times. They do, for they do, but it's not every well, intense right? moment. Sometimes it's yeah. not like what I'm what I'm thinking is, is I, what I get really curious about is like obviously we can kind of dis- construct a sort of uh, a sort of like basic understanding of what dynamics of family where he's trying to represent here. But then you can get into this was too much for Guy. You start to think to yourself, like, okay, well, what do these events actually represent from an autobiographical perspective, right? Like, and that's a lot to like digress because we can never know the answer to that unless he just comes out and says it. But like, like, obviously, the points where he really brings himself into the movie hardest is when he says this was too much for Guy. Right. And right. like that's a statement, right? Like that's a statement about himself directly. Right. Like what were those events like in real life? What are they autobiographical of? One gets very curious because they're they're obviously crazy nonsense in the movie, right? Like at one point he passes out while I I, I can't even remember them all, but like in a chimney, like while yeah. he's watching like his sister have her life nectar drained from her or whatever it's like <laughs> right it's like what was that what wh- I mean, and of course there is the the very climactic one where he's found his mother mad having murdered Nettie, right and then uh stumbling in shock from that finds his sister and his crush uh naked together right um <laughs> which is which is the uh the overt reveal that uh to the characters that Wendy has been masquerading as Chase the entire time, right, or Chance. Right. 
Yeah, and the and the way that it sort of starts off kind of like as a weird deconstruction of like your your boxcar children and your and your Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it right. just falls apart completely into just total madness is <laughs> really like yeah. there's there's something fascinating about a sort of 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 semi Victorian horror take on like the Hardy Boys or something like that is a really right, right. I'm sure other people have done it. I'm sure that that media exists because there's no way you don't think of that. Like the society doesn't think of that, but it's still fun to see like one just yeah. show up randomly on my door essentially. I also love the weird way that uh, it they exist as fiction within the movie. Oh yeah, too. no, I love that. Yeah. Like there's the impl- the implication that there's a fan club and that there's books or a radio series right. or He's something. Right, like a famous boy detective, basically. Right, right, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it's uh, as far as Madden's sort of autobiographical aspect of this. He himself says that he mined his own childhood for the narrative because he felt like he didn't have time. Uh, like the, the whole time frame seems completely self-imposed, right? Like they right. called him and he immediately started <laughs> right. shooting. Like, yep, but he also says, I didn't have time to, I didn't have time to think of a, a narrative fiction. So I just had to use all of my, all of my childhood. Right, memories. But it also, that sort of seems disingenuous, right? Because like, right. I mean, you watched the same movie I watched. He very clearly had a lot of time to add some narrative components to this. Because right, right. It's batshit insane. Like, <laughs> right, right. I mean, like, like, there's no way you improv what happened in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um. <laughs> It's just there's just so much weird there's going on. There's a lot of movie, man. right? It's a lot to talk about. Like I'm kind of overwhelmed. It's not sometimes we get overwhelmed because movies are just so amazing. Like we don't we feel overwhelmed to talk about them. This movie's pretty good. It's pretty amazing, but it's not that. It's just like, well, I mean, there's just yeah. so many things happen in this movie. It is. It has definitely left me. Looking forward to our next interaction yeah, with Guy I mean, Matta, a, right? Alas, it is six years from now. Yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of people we, will we be like? Unfortunately, the uh, the DVD is currently out of print, or or rather, it's not even marked as out of print, which I think is the terminology Criterion usually uses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is currently marked as unavailable. Uh, <laughs> On, uh, oh, I wonder what that means. So, like, up on the website, which could mean out of print, and I'm just misremembering. I thought I'd rights, seen it. Could be things. a rights issue right. too. I mean, like, right. who knows, right? Like, this is so, this is one of the this fits into probably a lot of very gray territory about rights and stuff. <laughs> it's very, very. With what limited I know about Guy Madden, maybe there's a problem importing, uh, ideologically, importing the movie from uh from Canada right now like his own his own psychic projection of what a what the movie needs to be is what they put onto each DVD oh, and right, that can't right. transfer over the border because right. the borders because of the covid maybe now yeah. <laughs> I he don't even to, know what that, imp- what that joke is his, uh... <laughs> yeah um, but uh his, but it is out of print which which unfortunately meant that we didn't have access to the uh to the actual DVD um which is disappointing because the DVD seems to have some some okay. really interesting stuff on it. First off, we the version we watch uh, is the uh, the theatrical release as well with narration by Isabella Rossellini. Uh, but there is alternative narration tracks, uh, uh, seven of them on the DVD. Oh my god! <laughs> um, 
presumably all the same narration, but uh, Laurie Anderson, John Ashbery, uh, Guy Madden himself, uh, Louis Negan, and uh, Ellie Wallach. Right, um, but that makes sense, right? If, if, if Madden, to a certain extent, wants to recreate that roadshow experience. Right, right, right. Like, providing exactly. you like with like oh you can watch this seven times and get a, di- a yeah. different experience because like even though it's presumably the same narration they're all going to have different flares right. different way of saying things uh and uh ashbury uh, who's a narration is right. fucking amazing oh yes yeah. yeah it was it's great awesome. it was great it's, i'd it's love to astounding. i'd love to hear other people's takes on it yeah. uh, ashbury is one of the people who did it for the live one okay. as yeah. well um crispin glover did one of the live presentations narrations and I'm kind of disappointed we didn't get that version, but uh, the Isabella Rossellini one is very good. Um, I, I re- yeah, her cadence throughout it. I think I again we didn't hear any of the other ones, so I, I I'm talking out of my ass here, but to me it to a certain extent accentuates just her her cadence and things like that. It accentuates the sort of um again that sort of Victorian like storytelling right. elements of it. It has a. It reminds me. It reminds me of the sort of vibe that something like a, an unfortunate series of events or something is trying to generate. That weird mm-hmm. sort of like, like, look back at a sort of mythological Victorian era, kind of feeling. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Like, right. It's. It's. I don't know how to describe it, but just the way she talks in it feels like kind of has the cadence a little bit of somebody reading a bedtime story. Yeah, but like a terrifying also, one that will make your children like not be able to sleep for right. the rest of their lives. Absolutely, and the narr- the narrator as a character gets gets interesting in that regard because sometimes they're like voicing mother, right? Right. Yeah. And yeah. and and speaking mother's lines, but other times they're describing guys' thoughts, right? right. And they're not. They don't always talk for characters. Um, but they don't don't always not talk for characters, right? And, well, yeah, and it, well, and, that, and that, I think that go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Well, it, it's very interesting watching this just after having watched uh, uh, Dreyer's Vampire, in that Vampire uh, was shot as a silent film and had all of its audio ADR'd, and right. the, you know, so there are spoken lines, but they're they're slightly disconnected from you know the what's actually being said on screen, right? right? Uh, and there's not a lot of it or like even traffic just last week has has spoken lines but the actual the sound is important but the language isn't in traffic which right. is very a very interesting aspect of that movie here here the lines are important to plot in that you know the actors are delivering lines that were written for for them to deliver but then the way the narration sometimes takes over that process right that uh and well, sometimes functions as a third person omniscient book narrator more right. than well but it right that the it, it but it does do a very good job of making in general it feel like a book narrator because right, right. like you know when you read a book to another person right like you're that that impetus to sort of you know you have to read the dialogue lines and sometimes you want them to feel like the person saying it and sometimes you're like oh, I don't really care this doesn't seem that important I'm not going to voice this one correctly you know there, yeah. it's 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 really it is I really like the narration is might actually be my favorite part of the movie cuz when yeah. it started it caught me off guard I was surprised and then it was never not engaging like 
at times the movie itself would lose me because it is so it can be quite difficult to follow and like keep up with but the narration helps with that a lot and provides a sort of right. it's almost a sort of for la- I don't want to call it like a comfort blanket but it's it's there to like help you move through the story <laughs> and not get right, overwhelmed right. like to recontextualize things all the time because if you imagine watching this without the narrator right like if it were just shot be, as a movie right. with no narrator it would probably be unwatchable like yeah, it'd be much or, more confusing, certainly. And it would be, and even if, even if the movie went out of its way to add more like visual contextual information to help you understand the movie, the movie would be very overwhelming, right? You wouldn't have the narrator to sort of center you and tell you like, "This is a story I'm telling you." You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't know how to describe that feeling except for like, the narrator helps you understand what to pay attention to, what not to pay attention to, uh, a lot of that kind of stuff, and also actually slows down the pace of the movie because the movie is moving at a million miles an hour, but the narrator goes at a human talking speed. Right. Right. Which right. helps ground the movie and make it so that it's not like, like over, like more overwhelming. Just, just taking your hand and leading you through this right. in a very, very deliberate and, uh, and important way. <laughs> yeah. And, and a very measured yeah. pace that like the narrator doesn't right. really ever get excited or anything like that. Uh, I mean, does, like, there's there's obviously a nuance to the, to the performance, but it's not like the narrator never like goes absolutely wild the way the movie does. Right, right. Uh, yeah, to a certain extent, you know, it it made me think of the narrator from Fishing with John at yeah, okay. times. Yeah, uh-huh. never never quite as crazy as the narrator <laughs> right, in right, Fishing right. with John. Right. Uh, <laughs> And I, in my mind, the narrator from Fishing with John is completely, uh, completely uh, uh, summarized in the opening narration from the, I think, fifth episode, because Willem Dafoe and John had died at the end of the fourth episode, <laughs> right, frozen right. to death, and then the fifth episode, oh, it's John, he's alive. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, Actually, making one more reference to something we've already seen uh, brings up something I wanted to. Obviously, this is very avant-garde, so it is it is uh, disingenuous of me to do this to okay. a certain extent. All right, but I think about I think about how uh, other Criterion projects go through the collection chronologically by release, uh-huh. right? Uh, and and I just I had an idea this morning of uh, what it would have been like if we did that when we got to this movie, which still would have been years away, actually. Right. But uh, but if we had watched this chronologically in released order, uh, we'd be watching Brand Upon the Brain just after the Beals of Grey Gardens, the the return. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we would have very recently watched The Squid and the Whale, Malik's The New World, Before Sunset, The Life Aquatic, which were all 2004 and 2005 releases. Um, so it's just, I don't, I say it's disingenuous because that that sort of weird collection of movies means that none of those really exist in a historic context compared to one another. Like they are all, certainly all of these are reacting to their historical context, broadly speaking, right? Right. Um, in different ways. Madden perhaps less so than the others even right. um, because it's just so so personal 
in what he's drawing from with this one. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but you know, we've, we've managed to talk about this movie by framing it for over decades of film so far. Right. Right. Uh, whereas, you know, why the insistence of, of watching it in its particular historical context maybe isn't as useful for this one, I guess, is the thought I had this morning, and I thought it would be fun to see what else was in the Criterion Collection from around here. Right, but um, also keep in mind, you know, you're probably better served, right, with the... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 a thing to think about, right? Like, it's hard to... Yeah. Certainly this particular movie is drawing from older influences, right? Uh, but But also, again, so personal in what it's actually well, trying right. to say yeah, it's talking really. about but also as yeah. we just talked about it is it is drawing from older influences but it's very much using a modern lens on older right. influences right. not right. not just like ideal like you know theoretically but also in like the way it looks like the way <laughs> right. we talked right. about like it looking like a badly restored yeah science uh, silent film running at the wrong speed right like it, it that is still a contextual thing right like Right, like it's the context of now, not the context of whatever year mythological year this took place in. Um, I, you know, it, so it, I mean, you know, it is. Yeah, it is. It would be interesting to know, probably what that put where that puts you really at mentally is like excuses about like um, oh, I didn't have time and things like that aside. What prompts a man to make this movie? Right. And like, I think what in the prompts time a man to, that it's made, right? Like, why? Yeah. What prompts a man to make this movie is what we see happening in this movie. It's a a cycle of trauma, intergenerational, right? right? Um, you know, and certainly other movies have have dealt with that too, right? right? Of course, Hereditary is is an overt <laughs> overt horror movie that deals with cycles of drama, inter- trauma intergenerationally, and the inescapability of those cycles until until someone makes an active break, an active choice to try to break, uh, and succeeds because you can even make an active choice to try to break and and fail, be, right? <laughs> and fail, right? Um, yeah, and I mean, hereditary. I, and I get that. I mean, I mean, hereditary yeah. pulls in much more overt uh, mental health issues into that that are certainly, ex- I think, existent here. Oh, without yeah, for sure. Having having them called attention to, right? Like, I um, mean, it's just not focused on what those issues are. It's yeah. more about the sort of just general dynamic that exists um, right. between the, right. the between the characters. I mean, yeah, you know, and I and I get weird. You know, I understand. Like, I understand. Like the sort of like psychological process process that would lead a person to make a movie about the in theory the the sort of intergenerational trauma that they've suffered and and experienced and might be perpetrating as well um i I, but also one has to think about like in the context of the year 2006 right making a movie that is stylized in this way like i'm trying to think about what other movies exist in that time period like, right. does it track with any trends in filmmaking at the time, or is it a wholly unique uh, yeah. entity well, in that's, of itself? You know, that's why I said I think it's maybe disingenuous to have this conversation with a Guy Madden film, because right. Madden seems to be so avant-garde. It'd be like talking about the historical context of uh, uh, one of the 
Brackage films, right? Like what? Right, uh, true. But then again, <laughs> sure, like, sure. Like ideologically, there's there's always something to the avant garde, to right. the to the yeah, to the really out there stuff that is pushing against uh, society, right? Right, and exactly. whatever is common commonly existing in society. But it's not even necessarily to a specific element of what's happening at the time right. within society well, and I, i'm also just fascinated by like uh, not 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 that uh, like um not that rarely the avant-garde eventually you know it is the it is the the front is a thing that leads to you know what i mean like later on you oh, start yeah. to you know x number of years later you start seeing things that are in that are the mainstream version of the avant-garde uh representation right and so like right. i'm just thinking like contextually like what films came around this time and what came after, like, can we find a f- films that were, like, inspired by Brand Upon the Brain <laughs> that came out, well, like, I, five years later or something like that? Is this an interesting I mean, honest, thing about? Honestly, I think there is probably a connection to The Lighthouse. Yeah, I would think that, so. Yeah. Uh, that is not, uh, not something that uh, commentary on The Lighthouse has explored. Um, right. In in my experience, but even if it had, you know, I hadn't seen Brand Upon the Brain until this week. So if someone mentioned Brand Upon the Brain in a uh, conversation about the, <laughs> yeah, right, I wouldn't have well, have picked up on it, right? But you know, there's there's certainly the Lighthouse is doing very particularly very different things, right. but there is the black and white uh, owes a lot to silent film uh, Lighthouse for <laughs> with a uh, forbidden light at the top. Uh, that uh, all uh, those ideas both play, and that doesn't mean that the lighthouse making overt reference here because they're both referencing other things, right? And again, Madden is very much basing this on his own personal mythology, right, 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 right. whereas the lighthouse is drawing on Greek myth and and other narratives that are more widely known than. <laughs> Madden's right, then, own then views we, of then, his childhood, certainly, but right, right. That's that's true. But uh, you know, and, and I agree yeah. with with everything you say. I was just also thinking, like, you know, it is his own personal experience. But again, we we, we are dealing with a lot of a, a pretty substantial number of tropes with regard to family right. relationships and right, right, and also what a Victorian esque horror film is like, right, and like, right, and, and that sort of stuff, like. Um, and and that's all sort of part of the narr- meta narrative of this movie, right? Like, um, which which is all it all works. It's just it's all very uh, curious because right. it it does to a certain extent feel like it comes out of nowhere. That being, you know, it is avant garde after all. But like, right, um, right. Uh, it's just I was like in my head, like I wonder if any films later on came out that, like, for example, started to I I don't. I will say that sort of like much older style of horror f- storytelling, I don't think has experienced a resurgence. I don't know that I've know many movies that are in that vein even now. Right. But, I mean, I could be wrong because like that's like, and I, you know, we could say what you will about me and horror movies, but like that's not a kind of horror I find scary. I find it intriguing and interesting. Right. Right. So right, I wouldn't right. shy away from something like that per se. Yeah. But my, this one might be too spot on to be something you would recreate right. uh, later on, right? Because, like, it is, like, just straight up feels like something like that rather than being right, right. a modernized are, version of it. There is a lot of this that feels very much like Vampire, 
you know, yeah, absolutely. Just the no, sort of I, I, atmospheric like, dreaminess of of some of what's going on, right? And and other movies of this ilk that I have watched on my right. own and and for the podcast, like this movie, weirdly enough, felt extremely like um, I don't know what the word would be. I don't want to say nostalgic, but it felt very like familiar, despite being right. completely wild and weird. It felt very familiar right i've never never seen it or anything like that but like it has so many components that feel like components i've seen in other movies like we talked about la jetty we talked about you know you mentioned something like metropolis or something like that and and there's all these films that like it feels kind of like them right and that's you know an interesting aspect of of filmmaking is filtering you know as a as a filmmaker filtering what you love and what you've experienced to tell a new story right right? even one that's very personal but you know and and george lucas did it with star wars too he took all the stuff he loved as a kid and he he rolled it all together into you know a a new commentary on american imperialism that was completely lost on its audience and uh (laughs) right uh but yeah in the same way you know this is and it gets more interesting, I think, when you're talking about memories of your own childhood to to roll, you know, the media you thought about when you were a child too, and experience growing up. Although you know, I mean, this is probably I, I one would guess that Guy Madden was probably not watching a ton of uh, uh, early. No, but he films. was certainly. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was reading boxcar children books. Oh, absolutely. Right? That's stuff. There's, is, oh, there's yeah, the stuff course, in yeah. there and the and the Frankenstein esque aspects of it. Which actually brings up another interesting thing that um how the character of father interacts here, uh Madden's dad died when he was very young, when Madden was very young. Uh so, you know, father's this sort of weird background ghost. You know the the power that keeps his mother going, but not someone Madden interacts with. Right, right. And then he actually dies, and then he becomes even more of an overt zombie, uh, who is still the backbone of this operation because it's his scientific know-how until uh, until his own machinations, you know, right. ultimately bring him to an end. Um, but yeah, the cyclical. You know, we become. We become our parents. It's it's you know it's Freudian in that aspect too, right? You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know that it's yeah. I see the word Oedipal being thrown around, and I don't necessarily get get anything overtly well, Oedipal out of this. But, <laughs> I I I do in the sense that like it, it it not necessarily in the correct direction, right? Because it's more about like there's this weird at times there's this very uncomfortable sort of not tension but between him and his mother that is that is not necessarily purely sexual but has a sort right. of like it has that like we we you know it, you can imagine it as you know find you know based on what you know about Guy Madden and his in his life you could see it as like well mom has become too attached to to the son right, it's not exactly right. edible but th- it's that same sort I, of like broken mother son relationship kind of thing like we're we're not we don't have what is considered a healthy right. mother son relationship and so, me saying that i don't see it as edible is me playing 
you know, uh, becoming victim of a, a pop culture definition of Oedipal, right? right? Certainly, certainly he is, uh, to put it very bluntly, a mama's boy, right? You know, right. The, the entire, the entire narrative happens because, uh, the ghost of, or a psychic projection of, or a phone call, maybe, I guess his mom asked him to come paint the lighthouse. Uh, right. and I guess she's still alive, but she's been in exile. So well, like, I mean, has he seen his mom yeah, for real? Yeah. Right. Uh, so he comes back to paint the lighthouse and it triggers all these memories. And then she dies at the end. And he certainly, despite all of the trauma she has put him through, he is at her side when she dies, ready to catch her last breath in a bottle until right. uh, a very sexy ghost distracts him. Um, <laughs> right. Well, and like she possesses a machine that can call him from anywhere using her the power right, of her emotions. Right, right. Like, I mean, there's a lot there, right? Right. Um, there's there's a lot of Freudian Oedipal stuff going on there that is not overtly sexual, right? Yeah. Or or even or, or even inadvertently. Well, I mean, uh, you know, covertly it, sexual. Again, it, yeah, it's not it's not exactly how one how one would imagine it, but if right. one takes it, yeah, a little bit more loosely, it's just sort of dysfunctional mother son relationships and stuff. It absolutely right, is right, that. Right, right, and right. it can get it, at times it gets a little. Not like a lot sexual, right. but just a little bit. There's this sort of weird tinge of sexuality throughout the whole movie, probably based on the fact that it is about a boy of a certain age, which we've we've dealt with a lot right. in this movie and are in this in this podcast and and yeah. dealing with kind of looking back at their life and stuff like that. Right. Um, and this the sister takes over the mother's position too, right? Right. You know, yeah. Very overtly. Yeah. As a as a power play in this whole institution of whatever the island is right right so uh, another interesting thing that like to go back sorry to like i just thought i thought of that while we were talking about the other about the the last point was uh i i i even fell victim to sort of foisted by my own batard right because i started talking about victorian s core and it has some of that but it also has a lot of 1930s, 1940s, you know, 1920s, 30s, and 40s representation of Victorian horror, which right, is its right. own lens looking back at, right? You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's not really the Frankenstein story. It's you know, it's the the representation you get in you know silent right. film and early film of those Victorian uh, horror stories with the added layer of the narrator, which makes it feel kind of like an actual Victorian horror story. It's right. What what a what a weird movie! Adam. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I love the layers because the movie yeah. is the movie is is such a delightfully sort of puzzle box to like right. tear apart, and like you'll never find the answer to it. Really, like yeah. it's not a puzzle box. It's not like a mystery. Like you know everything that happened in the movie, but like it it, it it's so kind of right uniquely intricately intricately interwoven with itself it's yeah it's fascinating and and you know madden is wearing his own childhood on a sleeve in this so right. it's interesting to look at where we can see you know like i it you know i already mentioned that the dad sort of a uh an unseen force to begin with but it's right. also interesting that when he does die he can't be buried right it takes it takes you know right. dozens All the children of have people to dance on his grave to, to, to bury him. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> right. And he's and, immediately and mom, exhumed. Yeah, mom is this you know, like you said, it's a panopticon force. <laughs> mom, right. Yeah. Well, it's mom very much. A, it's very much all a, seeing a, and 
again, we talked about this at the beginning, like if one sort of narrates this in the form of tropes, right? Like the uh, a, a mother who sort of overextends because of the sort of like to make up ground for right, what's right. lost and becomes an almost omnipresent force rather than a person with whom you have a relationship with, right? Right. Like, and 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 this is very much clearly a representation of that, right? Like, she can literally see and talk to him no matter where he is <laughs> right. in the universe. Right. Uh, right. And, and has an obsession with no one growing up into right. adult knowledge and even herself returning to childhood innocence before whatever trauma in her life has occurred. Right. And and certainly, if nothing else, uh, your husband dying when you have young children is its own traumatic event. Right, absolutely, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, and then you know, her the you know, and we and we get a, a view of the relationship where where the way the mother deals with the daughter and the son are completely different. We get into that sort of like discussion of the dynamics of like what it means right. to care for a boy versus a girl child. Right, like right. the mother's absolutely obsessed with his, her daughter's chastity, and like sort of uh, proper behavior. Right. And whereas with Guy, she is cares about his proper behavior, but also like he does have a certain freedom of movement that's allowed versus taken compared to his sister. Right? Yeah. Well, there's also the the boy of a certain age aspect to that too. Absolutely. Right? Like yeah. he's 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 young enough that. Uh, his crush on Wendy may be the first time he has felt any sort of sexual desire, you know? Right, so, right. But, so there's but that I, end of it. I'm just but. thinking in terms of like, when, if you sort of break down the way we sort of narratively talk about in, in movies and society about the way we talk about caring for, for young men versus young women right. are oftentimes oh, completely different, right? Like, right. you know, she's trying right. to hide the, the concept of sexuality from both of them. But, right. but like, She's she's overbearing to Guy, but less controlling and very controlling towards uh, right. Sis, right? Like, yeah, uh, right. It's just an and, interesting thing, and in very common to real life, both of them, despite knowing that their mother is overbearing and too much, uh, still in their own ways, in the ends. Uh, reconnect you know sister sis and mom after after dad's death you know come together before before sis makes the more overt play of <coughs> kicking mom off the island right with dad's dead body in a harp case um <laughs> right yeah uh, of course because it's still a weird movie yeah uh and you know as we've already talked about you know guy a, at a the end long of the movie, way and also in the boat is the is the is the the I, I don't know that the representation <laughs> of Tom? like of absolutely wild unhindered right like, action yeah. or whatever what what is savage what Tom, is savage yeah. tom even in this narrative yeah is like, that's a, that's a too, very right? good question and that's i yeah. think savage tom is probably one of the better puzzle pieces in this story in the sense of like i don't know what savage tom is but he's clearly right. important because <laughs> right Right. He exists so prominently in a film in which he basically does nothing. Well, okay, he's he is an object of uh, pagan anarchism 
Right. right? I mean, he's definitely some sort of within, unbridled force, right? Like, yeah, w- with, you know. within a system that is otherwise very finely controlled. And he is also one that is not uh, is not as finely controlled, right? You know, right. the guy is... Everybody's got the radios, right? Guy and sis at least both have the radios. Right. Well, I think it is but, limited uh, to the children, like her yeah. children directly. Yeah. The orphans don't have radios. Right. Um, and and but, I guess uh, Savage Tom is an orphan. He is. He is. He is presented as the oldest. The oldest orphan. orphan. When, yeah. And then, but the machinations of both ends when they start to fall apart. You know, Tom. Tom overtly tries to murder Nettie at the beginning of the narrative, mm-hmm. and Mother ends up murdering Nettie. Right, uh, and 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 I think you know, I guess you know, he's not a super difficult puzzle piece, but I mean, it, there's a lot of nuance there. Like he very clearly is that like he's the oldest, so he's like sort of unbridled sexual energy or whatever, right? And Mom right. eventually succumbs to him. And, yeah, the fact. The fact that he's always naked when he's on screen right. is right, and, and then they have to leave too. together because they represent like she's succumbed to that force, and now she has to be kicked off the island or whatever. Right. Why, right. sis? Yeah, I, I mean, it's there. It's just it's, you know, it's one of those movies where we'll never know exactly what everything represents beyond sort of a certain level of speculation, right? right? <laughs> and and of course, it being you know. A movie from this particular producer, a very autobiographical movie from this dire- <laughs> this director, um, is uh, you know <laughs> we're not going to know, and it's yeah. uh, and it's you know even you know thinking of the Brackage works, this is even more overt than you know. There's more going on here than any individual Brackage work, with the possible exception of the the one where he's walking through the woods. Or whatever that sort of quasi narrative right. long piece was, um, but the shorter pieces are all like paintings. They're about right. a very particular thing, and right. you can convey that message, right? Uh, whereas here, an artist statement on this wouldn't really necessarily help us at all. Well, either, and then right? also, like you, yeah, exactly. And you have to deal with the fact that does the artist a hundred is the artist one hundred percent cognizant of the things that they're producing and how they're actually related to like because right. you're you're we're all fully capable of fooling ourselves as well right, right. like he, you you believe it's about one thing but it's actually about another one i was listening to some people talk about uh stephen king with regards to this the other day and how very very clearly stephen king sees himself in his characters but then doesn't like it when movies get made that are honest about what those characters are actually specifically talking about the shining right and the fact that like dealing with the fact that like he sees them one way and then the people who interpret his work see them a different way and that causes friction because the artist sees himself in the work and can't and and doesn't like what other people see in the work and like and, and so like artists are fully capable of fooling themselves as well and like would a statement from guy badden actually represent what the movie is it's hard to say right because does is how aware of himself is he with regards to what he's produced right and at the same time how much is he actively uh being uh cagey about you know we have also true like there's also purposeful deception right right to come to come back around to you know where this started uh madden described this movie as 
ratting out his loved ones, but also made a roadshow out of it. Right, so, right, right. Like, yeah, yeah. How much of it is just is also just disingenuous, right? Like we we can't know that, right? Right. And and even if he's being totally on the level, I mean, yeah. you know, there's a reason why we have the sort of death of the <laughs> author concept because like right, right, they right. don't know shit about their own work either, right? Like basically, like you you make stuff and right. you don't know like what it actually right. means. You have what you had in mind when you made it, and that's great. It's worth everybody right. knowing what you were thinking, uh, yeah. what was going through your head, but it's also useless once it leaves your table, basically. Right. It'll be it'll be interesting to see another Madden work to see. You know, he's as as self-aware as Fellini, but is he as self-delusional as Fellini as right. well? Right, Maybe. right. <laughs> well, I, I already I don't get the impression that he believes that making the thing about the thing fixes the thing. <laughs> right, right. You know, I don't think Madden believes he fixed his family yeah. problems with this movie. Right. <laughs> Whereas Fellini Though, very clearly believes like, oh, I made the movie about it. I did right. it, guys. I'm. It's not a problem anymore. Yeah, though a movie like this is a much more overt attempt to do that than than anything Fellini. True, yeah, thinks it's he, definitely he more. Made, it's right? definitely a lot you know? more digging in. This is at least a, engaging with those ideas in a in a concrete way, right? <laughs> Instead of just presenting them, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I made a movie about my problems. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah, my next movie will also be about my problems. <laughs> uh Oh, I love Fellini. They will be the uh, same problems too. <laughs> Let's be clear right, here; they right. will not be different same problems. Problem every movie. Uh, but yeah, no, it's like, yeah. Look, we all, we all, we all secretly, we not even secretly love Fellini. It's just ridiculous, yeah. is all. Right, right, uh, right, right. Like, yeah, no. I what'll be really interesting for me is when we dig into Madden six years from now, and we're gonna see exactly what <laughs> right. kind of impact this movie had on us or didn't have on us, because there are right. certain ones that clearly have had impact. Right, we 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 call up. Movies from the past that like had an impact enough that we can like pull them out, and then think about you know we we named X number of movies talking about this film what they remind us of, right? Which right. is is a only a very tiny minuscule subset of the movies we've watched for this podcast, right? And some right. of those movies probably had elements that are very similar to this, but the movie itself didn't have a lasting enough impact on our minds to stick with us for seven years or whatever, or eight years. Right, right, uh, right. So it'll be interesting to see when we get to the next Madden film, whether this Madden film had enough of an impact that, like, when we get to the next one, we're like, oh, yeah, this is very similar to what happened in that one we watched six years ago. Uh, <laughs> uh, it should be interesting. Uh, it's more of a challenge for me than you. This is very clear. The podcast has made this very clear. Uh, uh, I'm my, sure within six years, my early onset dementia will have completely taken over. Okay. Well, I just, By the time like a, I'm 42. I just leak like a sieve at all times, like yeah, right, since right. the entire time you've known me. Um, yeah, no, I, I I think it probably will, because if I can remember like Le Jetty or something like that right, enough right. to like feel that, I'll feel it with this one too, probably, because yeah. uh, this one's yeah. a fucking wild one, man. Like, I mean, this one was very, very engaging, and like, that's all it really needs, right, is it needs to be enough that you're like, oh, I think about this when the when we're not having the podcast. Right. Like, right. this is a thing that I will think about at a time when the podcast is not happening. Yeah. I am a, I am a little disappointed for the DVD being out of print and, and us yeah. uh, not being able to, to physically have that. Um, because uh, 
for the Criterion release, Madden made two more short films oh exclusively God. for the for oh the God. DVD release. And I don't know. One is called "It's My Mother's Birthday" or something like that, or "Mom's bir- Mother's Birthday Today" or something to that extent. And I don't know if it's narr- if it's narratively connected to these right, uh, this right. film, or or if they are. You know, obviously he was. He was working autobiographically a lot of the time, more overtly with with this three set. Um, so, you know, maybe it's a a different autobiographical take, or maybe it's completely unrelated. He just made two more movies and said, "Hey, put them on there." Right, right. <laughs> maybe Criterion said, "Hey, if you, <laughs> if you, we'll pay for you to make two movies if you do it got before any, we release the DVD." Yeah. <laughs> uh uh, but, yeah. I will say that, like, alas, our chances of ever getting a hold of that to see that seems slim since the movie is $600. <laughs> right, right. Unless unless they re-release it. Right. Uh, I'm not going to. Because it would be neat. Yeah. It would be neat to, like, by the time we watch the next one to be able to, like, go back and look at that. But it's not going to be anytime soon. I don't know how much it is in the U.S. I'm looking at the Japanese price. But, yeah, $650 right. seems extreme for a DVD. I wonder it how was, many they sold at that price. I feel like I feel like my my US when we were looking trying to find it last week, I feel like my my US uh Amazon listings were north of 200. So yeah. Uh yeah. Yep. I, I mean, I I I will not be buying it on on right. on the Japanese store at $650 right. for your, the movie. Your Patreon support helps when that is actually the way we have to go. Although we <laughs> we are we try to be fiscally responsible enough to never pay <laughs> right. $650 for anything. <laughs> right. 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 A movie that costs more than our hosting seems a bit extreme. Yes. But sometimes it is necessary. Oh, well, so you here's know, another have, one that's only 50 bucks, which is I, weird. Well, there you go. Oh. I haven't Ever going, ever growing collection of Criterion movies that I have no intention of ever watching again. Right, yeah. <laughs> La Matisse was is one that sits on my yeah. shelf that I will not be not be the, touching. The, yeah, like that one is that one that one sort of haunts your bookshelf to say the least. Right. Uh, it's like one of but, those ones where it's like a little bit maybe even uncomfortable to try to get rid of it because yeah, that requires maybe. you to admit that you already own it. Right. Right. It it certainly raises interesting questions from anyone browsing my DVD yeah, collection. Yeah, just why my DVD collection is in a closet. Um, See, I I yeah, like to be to, to I I prefer a more loud and proud format for my <laughs> absurdities. I don't have as many yeah. as you do, but because uh, I haven't had to buy as many of these movies, but you know, yeah. The, uh, I, I'm just saying the Beastie Boys uh, disc has a prominent right. place right. right next to. Uh, you are, you okay, own a good on one. Name. <laughs> I own a good one. I own two good ones, three good ones, because the three live together, which is uh, we have Beastie Boys, we have uh, Hearts and Minds, and then we have um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas are the three go. that sit right next to it. Like, boy, these movies, boy, Pat, Pat, like, I, I'm hoping to generate a vibe where somebody reads it and they're just like, well, Pat's insane. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> His DVD collection makes no sense. Pat clearly has something wrong with him. He should. We should leave. <laughs> uh, well, Pat clearly has something wrong with him. So we yeah, should I leave. Do. Let's yeah. pull this pull this episode to a close. We have been talking about brand upon the brain. It's got an exclamation point. So you gotta say it excited. A very big exclamation point. It's, it is. It's yeah. not just an exclamation point. It's a big one. 
Yeah. A 2006 film by Guy Madden, semi-autobiographical. We will, as I said, return to Madden in the far-flung future for my Winnipeg, uh, the third of the Me <laughs> who Trilogy. Knows, who knows what the world will be like when we get back to this <laughs> right, movie? My right. God. Next week, we will be talking about a, another Pound Prasperger film, The Small Back Room from 1949. Not a war movie. Uh, well, it is a war movie, and that it is about World War II, but it is not one of their uh, our, one of their movies made during the war. Uh, but about a British scientist working during World War II, released in the U.S. as Hour of Glory. But the small back room is the uh, title that come, it comes to us. Of with. course, of course, that's the dynamic between the two names. Right, right. The U.S. release and the, and the British, and the British release. release. It's, very, it's like small back room just versus a, the. the, the the moment of glory. It's a, it's a microcosm of uh, of British and U.S. sensibilities. Absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, do look forward to that. Uh, you know, mostly we love Powell and Prasperger films. Uh, so yeah. it'll be interesting nonetheless. Uh, but, yes, yeah, thank you so much. guaranteed to be interesting, right? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, Sean Patrick Otari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at jonathanhape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.